Noah Wilson. This is Jason Bourne. I was wondering when you were going to make this call. How did you get this number? You didn't actually think I was coming to Tudor City, did you? No, I guess not. But if it's me you want to talk to, perhaps we can arrange a meet. Where are you now? I'm sitting in my office. I doubt that. And why would you doubt that? If you were in your office right now, we'd be having this conversation face to face. Do you expect me to talk? Episode 225 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and as always, joined by my fellow super spies, Chris and Dave. How are you both? Good evening, folks. Yeah, hello, everyone. Well, we can't confirm we're spies. We could be working anywhere. Anywhere in the world? We could be. Chris sounded like he was anywhere in the world a minute ago until he plugged in his microphone. <laughs> sounded like he was from Bora Bora. He sounded like, yeah, he was, re- he was, you know, over to our correspondent on the streets of Ukraine. Live by a satellite link up. Yeah. Down a corridor somewhere. So, um... Though, though this movie's got to be being paranoid about by this too, by, like, you know, by other governments l- looking to, like, sort of, you know, kill me off or saying the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, Dave, get a rest. You're looking tired. Yeah, I, <laughs> I said, yeah, I mentioned, like, one random word and it's all some sort of code for some secret op. It's like, no, you know, it's too much. <laughs> I, I do. I don't doubt certain bits of conversation do trigger various recordings, but there you go. If you want to listen to my life, like fill your boots, it's not that exciting. But, you um, have a buzzword, and one day you'll wake up and be like, oh, "I must do this." But anyway, talking to Spycraft, what are we covering tonight, Becca? Tonight we are wading our way, continuing on with our Born Retrospective review series. Tonight we review the Born Ultimatum, or as I like to call it, Born Evasion slash the Born Manhunt alternate titles that should have been considered for this film. Starring Matt Damon, Joan Allen, Julia Stiles, Edgar Ramirez, Scott Glenn, Daniel Brühl, Paddy Constantine and Albert Finney, who would later appear in Skyfall. Plus there is also another Bond connection in the shape of Colin Stinton, who also appeared in Tomorrow Never Dies. Scored by John Powell, um, and once again, Moby's Extreme Ways, although this is a new remix, is playing over the end credits that I had done for the previous two films. Right, Tomorrow Never Dies, let's just go on to that for a second. Did he play the guy who was on the boat when... Um, who Bro- wasn't on the boat in tomorrow? Is everybody was on <laughs> no, the boat. No, when, when Bros was in uniform. It was him they met, so wasn't he, it? He was, like, just before they do the um, the jumping out of the plane, um, he's like, hold on, has he got any American markings on him? We're over Vietnamese waters. And he's like, yeah, the parachutes, the fins. So I think he's Professor Greenwood. I thought he was the one when they found that the, the decoding device had sort of moved it off track. I thought that was him. But, I think um, it's the same one, but yeah, I think his name's Greenwood. But yeah, he's like, have you got any markings on him? I picked like, him. Oh, this, is, this is, what, ten years after that, and, he, and to all intents and purposes, he looks about the same, so I was trying to place him from a film. Yeah, a I was like, I recognise that actor. I was like, where have I seen him before? Ah, so he's been a Biffa Bourne film and yeah. a Bourne film. So. 
the one I was actually struggling to place in that I know he's super famous but couldn't think of any of his films was Scott Glenn Silence of the Lambs hello. Silence of the Lambs of course uh, I loved uh, he had a cameo in it but I loved the play of the Tim Robbins film from the early 90s oh gosh yeah that's a classic yeah, Silverado which I remember being quite funny but I haven't seen it for years he was in The Hunt for Red October Yes, it's another one connection with Connery. Um, and then there's lots of other things where I've seen the film, but I I, I don't know how big his role in, in it was because I can't remember him. So, I mean, he was in he was in um, he played Donald Rumsfeld in W the um, Josh Brolin oh, film, and I yes. remember that. But like for example, it's got a name for his character next to say Courage Under Fire, but I I don't know how big a role that is. No, that's it. That's when uh, training Day, he played Roger. Well, who's Roger? You know what I mean? <laughs> Didn't even yeah, get a surname. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like these sort of characters, you know, they have a major mm. role, but you, their names kind of like get lost in, in sort of the meeting, in, in, lost in passing, definitely. It's like I didn't know what Ramiro's character was called, and I was like, oh, but obviously, you know, it's, his name basically means peace, which is quite which Most quite recently, he was in um, the Netflix Daredevil series. I do think I saw that. He was, yeah. um, he's, stick. yeah, stick. He's, oh, was he's, he now? Yeah, okay. he's, he's trained as, he's, when he's trained to fight as like a young boy in that, it's Stick who does it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, didn't know that. I've got a feeling Stick's blind as well, hasn't he? Uh, yes, I Ooh. think so. Didn't know that. Uh, I will so check the, it out. the blind lead the blind. Yeah, well, the, the Marvel Devil, Devil series, it's, obviously, it's all been brought onto Disney Plus now, and they are bringing out more seasons, but we don't know yet whether it's going to be a continuation, a, a soft reboot. We don't really know. Um, w- will the events of the first three series be canon? We, we just don't yeah, it's know. Yeah, a few different reboots. Um, and, from from my perspective, I thought the first series, along with Jessica Jones, was the the two strongest things they did from those sort of four different series. Jessica Jones was really popular when it came. It out. was very good as well, but the second series of Daredevil was quite dull, and I didn't bother with the third. But but you know, once no, no more. I saw the Daredevil movie. <laughs> And maybe the first series of the TV show, and then Jessica Jones, but then David Tennant got a little bit too frightening for my liking, so I switched off. Yeah. But I need to go back and revisit. Yeah. So yeah, he's a really good villain, though. Definitely. He does play a very good villain, but you know, he plays a lot of. Um, he plays very shadowy quite well in that, like, he may not he be a villain, but you're not sure. Like, no, like um, stick. On, you, on you know, Netflix, he's, he's... there's a sci-fi animation called Final Space. Right. And he plays like a little green alien who looks really cuddly and friendly, but actually he's super villainous. So quite interesting watching him as Doctor Who and then those kind of villainous roles. So just shows his versatility as an actor. Yeah, absolutely. And as a voice actor as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, anyway, this is the David Tennant cast. Well, yeah, though I was talking about Scott Glenn to be fair. But um, <laughs> are you... I, neither of those don't. After we managed to kill off. Oh the God, we talked. Right, time. folks. Anyone who's listened to us for a few years knows our track record of mentioning people. And like, we did the Adam West Batman show, and he died the following he week. He died. And, and we mentioned Bill and Cosby in the show, died. and he was he was arrested the following week. I don't know that, but I don't know if it was Bill Cosby. It was somebody else actually. And like so on, we have got a terrible record of mentioning people, and they die for the first time ever on a show. No, for the first time in years last year, because we have mentioned it once before. We talked about Thunderbirds at quite obscene length, and who died in the week, Becca? Uh, Matt Zimmerman, uh, so the voice of Alan Tracy. But then he was eighty odd. He, he was, you know, getting on a little bit. We're a bit worried because our next series is Clint Eastwood heavy, mm. and he's like he's like late nineties mm. now or something. I, th- I think maybe we should move him down, you know, lower in the ranks. Well, and well, somebody who's a bit younger. Well, wait, wait till he's one hundred and one, so he'll be safe. <laughs> we'll just have to get on with it. Good luck. Good luck to you, Mister Eastwood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
other goodings. The other goodings. <laughs> Um, what are we doing after that, Tolkien? Well, it would be us that I, I'm worried because I thought, well, because you, she did say that genuinely, even though we know it's not us logically. Becca no, was it, like, it, it, there's, there's Becca was like, do, do we move happens. it? And then I'm thinking, but it's Tolkien after that. What about like, you know, I don't want to kill off Gandalf. No, I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, I think, I, I think, uh, um, what's it? Patrick Stewart is probably more like to go. Before, he's uh, he's, he's very he he was doing really well till about eight ten years ago, and now he's looking really really old. Yeah, and he's sounding really really old more than anything else. He's got that old person sort of quiver in his voice now. Mm. But yeah, so there's a cheery thought. So yes, let's not do that. <laughs> Last thing on Scott Glenn, and I think it just speaks because it leads me into sort of my experience with the series is that looking through his filmography here, he is in the Bourne Legacy, and yes. I didn't remember that. And I think that's two points. I think, firstly, when I saw The Bourne Legacy, I'd not seen The Ultimatum since it came out, so I don't think I put the two together. And now, ten years on from The Bourne Legacy, I don't remember he was in that either. So I, I think that tells you a lot. I went to see The Bourne Ultimatum, um, and we'll talk about it a lot. This is so Quantum of Solace in places. It is, yeah. Um, I've got so many like Quantum vibes, got Skyfall vibes, even though that wouldn't come out for another few years. There, there's two or three different places where it's very, very obvious. And well, the, obviously Quantum came out 2006, and this came out 2007. No, 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 so, no, 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 no. Uh, or the other way around, 2008, no, 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 no. 2007. Yeah, that's right. So bear in mind, Quantum came out in October, November, as usual, for Bond films yeah. of the modern times. Um, but they don't start filming until sort of December, January, and we know they were behind with this because of writer's strike and everything else. Yep. So put it this way, by the time they got costumed and on a set, they'd probably seen the Bourne Ultimatum. So you can look at something like Casino Royale and say, well, I don't know if Batman Begins did have an influence. And, you know, a lot of films like that where they're a year apart, you just think, well, they may not have known. No, there's but a lot of they did, they it's did here. It's a style of filmmaking as well, wasn't it? As you, know, as you yeah. mentioned last week, obviously, Bourne generally cast a, a long shadow of a Bond anyway. Um, and then obviously you've got the Mission Impossible movies coming out as well. So it's that similar kind of style of filmmaking as well. And plus it's something that Greengrass really cemented himself. I mean... Here we see, you know, more more of a shaky cam, more of the kind of more documentary style, more, um, you know, going to ground in terms of you know, the, the filming style of it. Oh, we'll talk um, about that in, in, yeah, in my thoughts as well. I mean, my there, experience of the like, film. There are some scenes, especially in, towards like the towards the end of the film, which do, you know, do incur a little bit of like quantum-ish dizziness. I would say. Yeah, I mean, but there there are specific visuals I, I noted, and and you know, and I, at one point he's in a hotel room and something happens, and I'm thinking he's going to jump into the car with Camille in a minute, isn't he? Yeah, literally. But he's even wearing he's even wearing the same jacket, or very very similar to the one Bond is wearing in those scenes. Well, indeed, there's a still part of the film takes place in Tangier. You can trace it all the way back to Living Daylights in 1987. So, yeah, there's um. It's the jumping around on like buildings and crashing through windows, that kind of thing. It's that's yeah, that's, that's in quantum, but also there is. And a it has still... the same. It has the same kind of um, uh, almost similar cinematography as well. It's got the same sort of look visually. It just has a, like the same colouring kind of texture. Yeah, it's, it? it does. It looks yeah, the same sort of textures to it as you say. There is a still of Daniel Craig in Quantum of Solace where he's a little bit beaten up. He's holding a gun in his hand. He's sort of covered it's like he's in loading sand. It. No, 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 he's got it sort of just hanging down by his side. Um, yeah. And he's he's got a slightly bloodied face. I, I'm just going to, I'm actually going to, um, I don't know, I, I was going to share it actually, hang on, let's see if I can share it. I'm talking about this picture here. Can you see it? 
let's have a quick look on let's see can you see it uh, it's not come up yet but this is fascinating for our uh, listeners anyway forget it because yeah. we, we could we I could just see a blank screen we, we could do that all evening but the point is the jacket he's wearing there is so 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 similar yeah. to the one that Bourne's wearing tonight my experiences with this film are purely that I saw it it's like uh, a black bomber jacket really isn't it yeah it's just that's like exactly a... it but it, around the neck is similar I saw it when, when yeah. Jason put it on but I saw it uh, I think I saw it opening night I remember liking it a lot because it is like the Bourne Supremacy Part 2 really but I do remember thinking it wasn't as well paced as the previous one there were a few too many flashbacks and I think and it's confirmed it watching it today the shaky cam has gone bananas compared to the even the second one mm. yeah um, it, it's noticeably more uh, now I know that the cars only went over thir- didn't go over 30 miles in, an hour in New York you can see it it's just being cut with just it's just being done with lenses and an enormous amount of cuts and I don't think I don't think this is as strong as the previous film but I still think it's a relatively satisfying ending to this little arc, if you like. What yeah. about you guys and experiences? Oh gosh, um, I I don't recall seeing this one at the cinema. I really don't. Um, I think I skipped it and then went to see Bond the next year, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've obviously got got it on on home release. Um, watched it a few times. I think for me. Um, obviously they're kind of like better films in the series but in terms of action definitely um, this is probably one of the most um, sort of quickest paced it, it, you know it literally starts like on, on the media in media res on the hoof um, and it doesn't really let up really so you kind of you're there holding your breath you know you're going to so- they sold you the seat but you're going to use the edge of it just to quote Tarantino I know completely wrong series but there it is um, I watched it again for this one um, I sort of split it over two uh, two evenings um, and I was just literally just like oh <gasps> all the way through you know it didn't take a breath and until it until it ended like a two hours later and yeah you know, i think in terms of like obviously the love interest i think with nick just kind of like drag a little bit even though i um i as i spoke said um last time quite enjoyed julia stars um quite like as, as an actress um i did kind of feel like love interest was, was like perhaps a little bit forced um and especially when um when he sort of leaves her at, at a cafe in, in tangiers and like she doesn't she doesn't say another word it's like oh so it's a bit of a disappointment um, but yeah, just in terms of like the action, action set pieces, you know, performances, uh, it's really tense. There's a real feeling of sort of paranoia, um, which just kind of engulfs the whole film because you're looking over your shoulder. Um, but yeah, this, this is, that's kind of why I call it like the Bond, uh, Bond? the Bond Manhunt, um, although it's sort of like quantum like almost a little bit. Um, so like, like plot, plot wise is probably perhaps not the best, but action wise definitely for me it's, it's a high point of the series. I think I can speak to that a little bit before Chris gives his opening thoughts. Um, I was reading around this film a little bit today. And I remembered that one of these films, one of these two, the Green Grass but 2000s ones, I remembered that one of them went into production without a proper script. And and I think it was this one. Because Tony Gilroy was contractually allowed or mandated, I don't remember which, to provide the first draft, but only the first draft of a script for this. And they had one of the nicest beefs ever, him and... um, Matt Damon, because Matt Damon uh, apologised pretty much immediately after this was taken the wrong way, because he said that the script he put in was unreadable and he said, I don't blame Tony he said, he, I think he was mandated to write a draft, and he just knocked out any old toss, yeah. just, just to get it done just and he, get, said, he said, I can't blame him, they forced him to do it, he didn't have a lot of time, he tossed it out, it was awful, 
So they brought sort of Scott Burns and George Nolfi on board and they sort of rewrote it as they went. And I think you can feel a little bit of that in the... I mean, I, 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 I grant he wasn't as a big star back then, but Daniel Brühl pops out, up and then he's gone. And then yeah, literally, he, he literally has a cameo role, five minutes. I, I totally forgot that he was in this film. Cause I, think, I did. I think the sort of, I think obviously he, um, in, in sort of Germany, he'd been in sort of like TV shows and films and everything like that. And I seem to remember it was either 2004, 2005, 2006, um, for called Good, Goodbye Lenin. Basically, it's kind of like S.H.I.E.L.D., a family member yeah. um, who was in a coma or something from from reunification um and trying to prevent you know trying to put on that veneer of they're still living under, under communist under communist um germany i've not um, seen it but no yeah check it out and i kind of think it had it had a wider release definitely over here in in english-speaking territories i've heard of i it. think that that, that kind of that might yeah. not be correct but it seems to be that that's the sort of film that kind of brought <coughs> to more english-speaking audiences but when you look at the film you've you've got this bit now i i i understand that's exacerbated in that this is two years before Inglorious Bastards. Oh, but yeah, of course. Yeah, that was another film that brought It's, what, six years before Rush, I think, if I mm. can remember when Rush was accurately. So so he's he's pretty much a star now, and he might not have been then, but because we're looking back on him now, it's like he's, well, been, he's been a Marvel... Marvel yeah, well, exactly. Since he's done all that, you now look back on it, and it makes the film feel a bit more scattergun, because he's yeah, a relatively big, big star in one scene. Paddy Considine, he was already, you know, the De Niro he, yeah, of the Midlands, well, like, you know. Mid-2000s. He was a name by this point, and, and, he, it. and he, I totally he pops up. David Strathairn as well, like he's got a major role. This is kind of this is the sort of film that kind of brings out the big guns, as I, I wanted to say. And, but I don't um, think J- David Strathairn. Like, oh. David Strathairn, they didn't have an equivalent in the second film, really. He is kind no. of the equivalent of Chris Cooper in the first film. In he this is, film. yeah, he's that kind and of character. As an actor. I rate him just as highly in this. He's, yeah, he's named a kind of really dramatic. I think he's a. Role. I think he's a void in this compared to Chris Cooper in his. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, the they film use feels very sparingly. The film feels a bit more scattergun, and then suddenly, after you know two and a half films, well, him and Julia Stiles were in love, were they? Or that that didn't you, you know? Yeah, no, I don't sort of feel there. That didn't earn it because I mean the yeah, first film when he appears back on the grid, having been thought dead, she has no visible reaction whatsoever. Yeah. Now that might just be she's extraordinarily professional, but the film didn't show, didn't find any way to let us know. And then I just well, think my my fine, just my final point there is just, and the other thing was. The shaky cam when I revisited Supremacy, expecting it to be Quantum of Solace levels of whip pan editing and just all over. I thought there was one scene that was a little bit like that, but well, otherwise it Supremacy was, you know, was a like it, it's like I don't know, I don't know. It's like the first person ever to do slow motion. You go back expecting it to be really bad, and you know that people. And it's have, actually really fresh and amazing. Yeah, and and I thought Supremacy was that this film. There were sections of this film where I was like, they're overdoing this, and they're almost shaking the camera an extra bit just to add more. <laughs> extra bit of shaking. So I think this is I think this is Born Supremacy light, but I still enjoyed mm. it. Chris, what were you going to say? Yeah, I'm kind of I generally agree with um, what everyone's saying here. Uh, the shaky cam, uh, I d- I did think it it was too excessive. I know it's um, particularly in New York so- when they get to New York, it's really bad. Well, I, I, I was I was just thinking, like, you know, the, the issues that Shaky Cam has had, especially when it comes to action films, is you kind of don't really see the, what what the fuck's going on with the action, you know, because like, no. you got I mean, you got all these like skilled like you know, um, you know, fighting um, like you know, fight fight uh, fights going on. You want to see like how you know how impressive like these people have actually doing, you know, you want to see the stunts. 
you want to see like even even the impressive work that the actors have actually sort of you know put in and you know you want you feel like you want to show it off and the shaky cam just kind of like ruins that and it, and i know that there's been issues with like you know so say liam neeson type films where um it's used to kind of just just basically cover up the fact that you know they can't do what they did. it's more of a cheat uh cheats way out but yeah i think it's i think it's like it 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 doesn't do any of it justice and it and it kind of like it makes the illusion of something is like visceral and like and and you know what well and it that's all it is it's an illusion we're not actually seeing it and then you know we we you watch like films like like john wick or I mean, Christ, even some like sort of straight to DVD, straight to VOD kind of box standard action films, which not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but at least fucking hell, they get the, you know, get the action right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the, like, the, the, you can actually see the fights and it's like, well, I think it's, I think it's fresh, the, literally the first time you see it. Because like, if Born Supremacy yeah. was the, was the first of this scale of film, which I've, without really thinking back I'm not sure if it was but it certainly popularised it the first time and there's car chases going on and, and you're struggling to focus on certain things and then we're moving and it actually does mm. kind of, because it slightly agitates you watching it it does sort of almost add to the excitement it adds something but of course by the time every fucker's doing it you're then, yeah. at, you're then at the point that you get inured to it very quickly and you just think mm. oh calm the fuck down by the time we watched Quantum which was only about 18 months after this it was like, will you just calm this down? And um, with with Quantum, it was covering scenes not making sense as much as anything else. You know, I, 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 yeah. I, you know, Judy Dench appearing after she was like shot in the face. We thought, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, for shaky cam aside, what did you make of it? Just a bit. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I generally, I, I mean, I I enjoy I enjoyed it. I kind of. I, you know, when, can we come to talk about it uh, a bit sequentially? I do think we might struggle because there isn't a lot of plot. But to that, I think it's one of its um, it's kind of one of its strengths and weaknesses. There isn't much actually in it, but the film as a whole is a kind of like it almost feels like an extended like chase sequence. Like it, it almost feels like it's uh, three action set pieces just put together. You should have said this. You should have said this. Uh... You should have said this like last week about this week, because then we could have moved the Thunderbirds discussion to this week. Padded, <laughs> yeah, padded, the, padded the show out and not killed Alan Tracy. <laughs> yeah, Chris, you got blood on your hands. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. sorry about that. I can, I can only apologise. Well, you know, but... the way I see it, he would have, you know, would have saved him like what number but two weeks. If, 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 <laughs> if, 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 by, if by miracle, um, you're you're listening, you know, Mrs. Alan Tracy, right? Um, yeah, in your grief, line. just remember we we made a couple of people a laugh, so your loss is worth it. <laughs> I just also don't like to say it's time to plug again the Jerry Anderson podcast. I can highly recommend listening to it. Give a give a follow to at Jerry Anderson TV on Twitter. And the good um, news is Jerry Anderson's already dead, so we can't do yeah, many on. <laughs> but you can also check out um, on Britbox the documentary A Life Uncharted, which is a very um, never before seen, containing lots of footage and also a bit of um, deep fake technology used in the making of the film. So anyway, that's my little plug over. Yeah, but how are they using deep fake technology? Yes, yeah, so what is? I can't remember the actor's name, um, but okay, so there's lots of historical, previously 
unheard um, audio footage of interviews with Jerry on various subjects and that's films and, and life and career and filmmaking things like that so what they've done is they basically they've recruited an actor um, and use kind of like deep fake technology to kind of like place his face almost so it's almost as if he is being interviewed so like there'll be the figure of you know of, of Jerry apparently like sat on the sofa um, with sort of 60s um, shows and like playing in the background behind him um, and um, sort of <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit weird um it's, it's yeah, strange how to, strange how to explain it, but it's always that like, what they try to do is try to present that you know this, this really interesting um, audio audio recordings that they have um, that, again we haven't heard before um, and as so they use this deep fake technology and lay it over the, the face of another actor um, who kind of bears you know a passing resemblance yeah. um, and, and for a lot of us in, in the fan community we were a little bit like oh you know but obviously Jamie signed off on it, it was if they fine. signed off on it that's the key yeah thing. exactly and you know Jamie. I would never support anyone just doing it. No, this is it, and it's, it's kind of got, obviously there's a big there's a big schism between Fanderson and, and Anderson Entertainment, but I, that's another argument for another day. Um, but JB signed off on it; it was fine. It's it's quite innovative technology as well. Um, it's it's kind of similar to what we've seen with you know bringing back Leia and um, which I thought looked like terrible. In, in, in yeah, exactly. Mm. It's, it's a little bit similar to that. It's a little bit of uncanny valley going on, mm. um, but it's done in a very it's handled in a very sensitive way. Um, and there's a little bit, there's a few moments where kind of the dialogue doesn't quite match what's going on on screen, but it's done in, in quite a masterful way. Okay. Um, and again, it's as if you know, able, as if you're still alive and able to interview him, which is really interesting. So if um, you'd like to see Jerry Anderson handled sensitively, yes, check out this film, A Life Uncharted. So the anyway, only thing yeah, I, I just want to say is right. <laughs> Britbox. Um, Brit, we're talking about British Britbox. Confusingly, Britbox la- launched in America first. So a bit like Netflix, different territories have different things. We're talking about the British catalogue. We're not sure if it will be on American Britbox or not. No, I'm not. Yeah, I can't quite. I can't quite say. But I did have a look around. Might need a VPN for that. Yeah, I mean, Britbox has all surviving original Doctor Who. Obviously, they wiped a lot of the tapes. They've got all surviving Jerry Anderson stuff. Yeah, which I, I think, think the Doctor Who they're, they're yeah. animated quite a few now. I think there's um, is it the Abominable Snowman or something that's coming? I know they, I know they, soon? I know they did animate one with Patrick Troughton, the Second Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, they've animated quite a few now, but yeah, they've got all the surviving ones and some audio. So yes, this is the Jerenson spin-off and Box Nice. Oh. nice bit of padding there, Becca. Anyway, Chris. <laughs> Let's talk about the Bournemouth movie. I don't want to. What, what, basically, I don't want to go off on a massive tangent like we did last time. Oh no, it made it a decent so let's length. Try and keep it right. it let's, let's bring it back. Like Chris said, there ain't much here in a minute. So, um, hey, no, I was wa- hey, while, while I'm talking about Britbox, I was watching Drop a Dead Donkey earlier. Oh god, that was a classic show, wasn't it? Oh my god. I feel like I've I, done, I feel like I've just put ten p in Becca, and now she's gonna like go for it. <laughs> <10p. laughs> Off you go, Becca. Expensive. Drop the donkey, Becca. <laughs> I think what we need to do is we need old to do Channel Four sitcoms. Hey, Chelmsford one two threes on there. Are you old enough to remember that, Chris? What? Which was that? Chelmsford one two three. It was Hatrick Productions. I don't know that. I've never heard it of that. It was set before. in like Roman times, right? And it was a lot of the same. Saint Chelmsford. So it was. It was, was it? Was it Frankie Howard? No, no. You're thinking of up Pompeii. That's not Pompeii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chelmsford one two three was Hatrick who went on to make. Um, Job the donkey. Yeah, and it had Jimmy Mulville in it, and it had um, Rory McGrath and Neil Pearson from Drop the Dead Donkey. Oh God! And um, it's it's on there, but I think it was 1990-91, so I'm just about old enough to remember it. And you'd have been too young. It was really good. I'll check it out. That's on Britbox. Yeah, we, yeah, we should do a separate podcast. What are we watching on Britbox this week? Yeah, we can talk about the Bourne Ultimatum on that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Carry on, Chris. Anyway, let's carry um, on. Yeah, so what are we talk about? Oh, yes. Um, How do we do um, <laughs> So it, it's, ca- it's kind of like three uh, action set pieces kind of put together. Um, and it, and the, 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 and the plot kind of like sort of leans for that. And that, that kind of thing I, I kind of like. Um because there's not there's not too much of like standing around explaining everything you know, apart from a few lines of dialogue which has to explain a bit too much but other than that I kind of I kind of like the, the, it, it's kind of like relentlessness like okay let's just go let's go let's go let's go um, so I think that's what Dave kind of means by the pacing the pacing just doesn't really feel like that with a shaky cam just feels like there isn't like enough room to kind of like breathe assess what's gone on. Um, Paddy Constine shows up and, and exits um, and, sh- and shit like that. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it. I I I quite liked it though. I must admit, the thing that did take me out of it was the shaky cam. It was, I was noticing it a lot more. I think I went into Supremacy expecting it to be bad, and then I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, there's a bit more restraint mm. here than I remember. Um, I think yeah, I what I'd say be, I mean, is... I mean, it was shaky cam heavy, but I kind of thought it was... Yeah, pretty much and, the same. I know, and well, I was like, you, you can kind of see what's went on here. Like, obviously, like, uh, he went he went in, did um, Supremacy, and was like, oh, wow, what's this? Oh, this is kind of cool, because, oh, well, everyone seems to like this, right? And then just completely just goes in, or goes all in. Um, and and yeah, Bond, a... Bond in recent years has always been a year or two behind everything because it picks up on the trend afterwards. So I think it was already getting... It, it outstayed its welcome by the time Quantum of Solace it came It takes so bloody long to make it these days. Yeah. Oh God. Well, Quantum actually turned around fairly quickly, but you know what I mean. They always get yeah. an artist to do the song two years after they were massive, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think um, that there's a little bit of that with Quantum of Solace. You go, oh, it was popular in 2008. And it's like, no, this is Bond. We were already pissed off with it by 2008. Yeah, we already had enough. It already done, done to death. Well, I mean, just the public story is a general thing with, you know, Hollywood anyway. They all, they, you know, they kind of, there's, there's no sense in, in copying. Because what makes, like, Born more unique is maybe like, yeah, okay, the shaky cam, but that's their thing. It's like, it's like the cool kid at school. It's like, if you start imitating the cool kid for, like, you know, at school, then it's no longer cool. It doesn't work. It's not, it's not cool to, you know, it's only cool because it's, like, individual. So, mm. so if it's like, if you're unique in any way, that's the cool bit. So it, it ceases to be cool when you're just imitating something else. It's just it just doesn't work anyway. Yeah, I, I was. Um, I think what I would say is the film. I mean, I know we had DVDs and Blu-rays and everything else, and and, and perhaps people did watch Supremacy just before they headed out to the cinema, but I'm not sure I did. And I think Ultimatum looks a better film <laughs> three years removed from Supremacy than it does one week. I, I would say that I, I would say it's comfortably it's comfortably the weakest of the opening three films. I don't think it's the weakest we're going to cover, but it's the weakest of the first mm-hmm. three. I would definitely say that. Um, and I think it was just when I first saw it, it was it was like the Born Supremacy and a bit more. The sheer amount of flashbacks to his time with Albert Finney kept knocking me out of it a little bit, but it was it was it was good. I, I thought it was like, you know, second half of the same film, really. I think w- having watched them a week apart now, th- this is a bit of a step down from supremacy. Which is which is odd, because I remember, like, the, the reviews, like, this is, like, Five Star and Empire, like, mm. th- that kind of thing. People uh, were considering this, like, the best one at the time. Yeah, and I, I think I can say quite comfortably 
it, it's not. It depends what you're invested in. I mean, obviously, because Jason gets some answers and some and and like a bit of an escape at the end. There's there's some sort of catharsis in it. But because you've got Julia Stiles is suddenly a love interest or, or suddenly was a love interest and they're pulling bits and pieces out of their ass, and that kind of affects how real you can find any of it because I, mm. f- I can feel them trying to cobble together a film without a script here I can feel them doing it mm. the end result is actually a miracle in that it flows pretty well it makes sense it's all pretty logical uh, it's incredibly well shot. I mean, it, it's of a piece with the second film. I'm not saying it's like... It ain't Superman for the quest for peace, you know. Oh, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about an abomination. It's not Highlander 2. <laughs> what is? Well, I was no, say, yeah, it's what not. Is the... I mean, it's it's of a similar standard. But, it is, but, but I, I don't think... If you asked me to argue this was better than Supremacy, I don't think I could put up much of an argument. That's all I'm saying, really. Mm. With that, shall we discuss this film sequentially? Yes. Uh, 30 minutes in. So, um, where do we start? We start... Um, we start with him leaving injured after he's talked to uh, Kirill's daughter at the end of the second film. Yeah, and he has another sodding flashback. Yeah, it's a little bit flashback-heavy, this this, um, this series. Well, this it, film, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like because it's amnesia, but everything's kind of led by his... his um, Motives are led by flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I have no flashback. I must go and investigate this. There's one place where it actually ruins it, and I'll come on to that later. There's a f- there, he get you you get the he hears something or sees something, and you see the images that flash through his head, which mm-hmm. are always third person. They should be first person, but there you go. Yeah, I found that um, strange. But that's that's always the same with flashbacks. You see them seeing themselves. It's like, well, that's not what you would see in your head, is it? But fair enough. That's just a minor complaint. Um, but there's one it, it actually ruins something later in the film and I must remember Pamela gives him a coded message and mm. we'll, we'll come on to that later because it it is like born that it, it's born for dummies at that point it's like producers have panicked somebody in the audience won't get it when they've seen a, a rough cut I think um, but yes he's having a flashback from when he jo- first joined Treadstone it's him in a, a very well lit bright white room and we're only picking bits and pieces up here um, and we cut to six weeks later and uh, Pamela Landy's like listening to this is again this is a, this is our slightly clunky way of recapping the previous film for those who mm. didn't see it whereas the, I think the born identity sorry the born supremacy was very very good at having the, the dialogue between characters serve both the plot and the exposition needs so it, it, it's a bit clunky here um, but yeah she's listening to so it's remember this in the last film when it turned out he was guilty that's what that is basically yeah mm. yeah it's a little bit like that isn't it it's a bit of a flashback to that it's like hey, remember this oh they just kind of it gets a bit repetitious I mean it's difficult isn't it it's one of those kind of plot devices um, I think is it Robert Key sort of famous writers are sort of in treaties upon it um, saying this is how to do it properly, this is how not to do it. Um, but it's, you know, it's it is difficult. I, I it think, is one of those tropes. I think I would find it difficult. Uh, and and then, I think, you know, there have well been then, some great films over the years which have been in, entirely flashbacks. You know, but then so. there's um, there's ways where you know it's having trust in the audience as well. It's like because there's there's a bit, and this is, I'm now going way ahead where like um, David Stratham and, um, and 
and uh, Scott Glenn are like on on the phone, and Scott Glenn, it's feels that like you know Scott Glenn's like is aware of it the whole time kind of thing, mm. and it's like oh don't worry, your your cover is like well you know well remember why Pamela's there you know when 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 and then he Black spells Black it out yeah and it's like yeah. he spells it all, out that all, she's there to take needs, the fall it's like but then that wouldn't he wouldn't say that if he, all, all he'd say is remember why Pamela's there. And, and it's like, right, okay. It's like the but, start of the Godfather Fight 3 where he writes but, to his kids and says, remember when I moved to New York 17 years ago? <laughs> so, <laughs> something. But, yeah, but it's like, you know, you have to trust the audience. Like, like me as an audience, with like, remember why Pamela's there, we would, like, infer, right, they, 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 they're, used, they're either using her as, like, um, someone to, 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 like, basically sort of, set up she's one of two she has to be she has to be one of two things you could only and and i think the one of the two is obvious but you could make an argument that she's there as a diversion because she's there to go in and run this new thing and everyone will be looking at her and we can carry on with this black right thing or she's there to take a lot more authentic or 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 to to take a fall yeah or 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 depending on yeah so you have to trust the audience to kind of like right okay well we, we kind of know that, and 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 don't the previous films know, we don't well, have to know everything either. We don't always have to know like every single detail. No, and the previ- co- but the previous films were properly authored by Tony Gilroy, and he, he wasn't always happy with Final Cut. I mean, he said about Supremacy, for example, that it was meant to be more about um, Jason's sense of repentance, and he said that the final version of the film he felt didn't reflect that. But there's no doubt. I mean, I even read Tom Stoppard had a pass at this script. Well, Tom Stoppard, oh, really? Tom Stoppard had an uncredited pass at this script. Well, well Tom, that. That Tom Stoppard was desperately trying to help um, George Lucas on, I think it was Revenge of the Sith, try and make yeah. the dialogue more authentic. Normally, you call Tom Stoppard in when you're in a bit of trouble. When you, yeah, legendary playwright Tom Stoppard. Oh, that, that, that's not to knock his abilities. He's a very talented man, but he quite often get when he's brought in on a script doctor sort of way. You know, you're in trouble. Yeah, when. You're, in, you're normally in trouble. And I think it, what we've got is various people penning different bits of this. Tom Stoppard said none of his. He didn't recognise any of his stuff in no. the final film. None of it his dialogue. Been a, I think had, had he did. You know, have a pass of that script. It would have yeah. been a very different film. And the other thing is, certainly identity. I, I can't really speak for supremacy because I really did forget to look. But identity, for all the differences, does follow quite a lot of the themes and ideas of the book. Whereas if you go and read a summer summary of the Born Art or Maiden, which was written in 1990, by the way, it's it's almost like a rematch with Carlos the Jackal. It's got nothing in common with this film. So I think they're kind of making it up on the hoof, and they've got less to go off because of the way the stories have diverged slowly from the books. And I think it, it, it hurts the film almost immediately, but that's not to say we're doing what we do, we're going through a film and pointing to things we like and don't like. The The bottom line is we all enjoyed it. It, it was an enjoyable film, but it's not quite oh, yeah, the yeah, same Oh yeah, we, we had a good time, but yeah, we kind of get into the nitty-gritty and, and sort of divide up really, don't we? So, so she's listening to... Um, uh, oh what! Oh, he goes to see uh, Marie's brother, Jason, to say about yeah, Daniel Bruhl in his ca- really cameo role, literally thinking you miss him. Yeah, um, he he just does. He looks sad, and then 
goes off to be a Formula One driver or something. Yeah, it goes off to a very Marvel <laughs> many years later on. Down I mean, I, I kind of feel like this is a bit pointless as well. I mean, honestly, it's a bit of a recap of like what yeah, he did previously last... on board. Uh, well, it's, it's a bit of a la- bit what he did the same thing he did at the end of the last one. He's like, I know, I'll just randomly show up, terrorize this this innocent person and nothing to do with anything. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to show up at your apartment, t- tell you your sister's dead, and then bugger off. Like, <laughs> I think as well, when he didn't shoot um, Brian Cox, he let Brian Cox do it himself. He said Marie wouldn't want me to. I don't think he'd made peace with her death, but there seems to be an element of him going there and almost telling him out of guilt, like she got, she got caught up with someone like me, and this happened to her, so it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like. Her effect on Jason, I thought we'd already sort of dealt with. But, fine. And then we've got this correspondent for the Guardian newspaper, Simon Ross. And he's digging around Jason Bourne, and more specifically Operation Treadstone. Um, And of course... He's got a new name. Yeah, well he mentions Operation Blackbriar on a phone call. And this gets picked up yeah, so by it's, it's their the software. Yeah, it's the end of the previous film, isn't it? He sort of says, oh, screw Treadstone, Treadstone's dead in the water. It's all about Blackbriar. But of course, that now is that now alerts the CIA that this guy ex- exists. And that there's a big expose coming out on mm. this thing. And they want to stop it. Yeah. And uh, so- Jason comes into London and... Um, well, he reads it in the newspaper, doesn't he? He's looking at a newspaper on the train. Yes, reading yeah. The Guardian? No, I can't remember. <laughs> That's right, isn't it, Chris? Jason, um, Jason's already on his way into London and he's reading yeah. The Guardian. Yeah, he's reading the newspaper. But I don't so. know if he's already aware of this guy, because why is he heading in? But he, he he calls him and says, I'll meet you at Waterloo Station. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I seem to remember reading about that back in the day. that I, They couldn't shut down Waterloo been... completely. It was kind of like a, so it was a mix of kind of like extras and and sort of normal commuters and that outside and everything. Um, but I just remember it had a lot of like media coverage back in the day. The fact that they were kind of filming in and around um, Waterloo and it's quite busy and it's quite a tense scene. And mm. so yeah, so he's obviously been regularly um, writing about like Jason Bourne and and the, 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 basically what kind of it be theories about Treadstone and 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 things like that. Um, so of and he gets picked up. He gets picked up with a message from Blackbriar, so they get on his radar. Um, and so they send agents to basically follow and kill him. We yes. see we see something like a needle, like they're going to poison him or something. But they've got they've got shooters on shooters on him as well, which is what in the end happens. Um, yeah. And Bourne calls him and said, you, "You basically, if you want to survive, you need to do exactly what I say." And of course, he panics and doesn't, and he's shot. Yeah, and I and I thought this was going to be like because you got like Paddy Constantine. And I thought this is going to, this is going to be like Bourne and um, and Constantine like sort of on the run together. Yeah, we, I, I was thinking we haven't had a dream team since 1985. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> since since those two titans of cinema appeared together in a view to a kill, we've not had a dream team. Now we've got <laughs> dream team the next generation, but it was one scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of, I, in one way, I can appreciate the kind of like, oh crap, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, do we need you know, convi- see? I think the CIA. I mean, if you'd never watched any films and just believed 
you know everything you were told it's like well it's you know it's their secret service they're probably on the side of the good guys and all the rest of it but we know some shady things happens we don't always know what but it's like the film is there to say no no not everyone in that organization is well intentioned it's like but we knew that um they'll they'll kill anyone if they have to and obviously it's on orders from uh the blackbriar director um, yes. and 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 we meet we are introduced to his assassin as well Paz who we'll see again later um and then Landy's brought in to help Bozen and I think the Ross Ross's notes um ne- well they don't name the source um he's got them Vosen's got them checking cell phones and Dude, he's doesn't like doesn't he tell him like cuz there's a bit like in between where he, where he questions it um and, and doesn't he um uh, sort of tell him like what the source is before he runs off. Sure. He, I, you know, I, th- I think he told Jason. Yes. But the, but Vosen has got them ser- searching like cell phones, mm. and he says, "Who's going to be using a cell phone at that point?" Cross refer it to the ones that are off at that time. They cut it down to four. Then they search the images of photos from Ross's flat and work it out to be uh, Neil Daniels. And he's the CIA station chief in Madrid. And Bourne's already on his way there. Um, And they realise Bourne's on his way there. And so they think they can kill Bourne and Daniels, basically. Because Daniels is a leaker and Jason's Mm. the the big prize. When Bourne gets there, uh, it's empty. But Nicky Nicky Parsons is there. Which feels a bit random to me. Well, it's for, you know, plot. Uh, it's like, by the yeah. way, you it once loved reasons. me. You once loved me. Daniels has fled to Tangier, so he's going to fly over there and meet, you know, Dominic Green. And <laughs> It does it does become a little bit like quantum light, born light at, at this stage. There is a little bit Living of daylights. Yeah, yeah, and literally the, the Tangier section... Literally, you can trace it all the way back to Living Daylights. You can, but the visuals and the the, the styles of the action, mm. and we'll get into specifics in a minute, was, was aped by Quantum. Well, it was, pretty much. I mean, that's a callback all of its own, really, isn't it? So that's why, you know, I say, it, it, this the Quantum of Solace is the most directly influenced by the Bourne films. All of Craig's era bears some influence. I'm ne- I've never denied that. But yeah, Quantum definitely. of Solace is a direct copy of large parts of the Bourne Ultimatum. So, uh, she decides to help him, says he's gone to Tangier. He heads to Tangier and is looking for Daniel's location. But he's able to find out that one of the sort of Blackbriar agents has been t- uh, tasked with killing mm. killing him. It's a different one, actually. It's not Paz. He's called Desh. It sounds yeah. a bit similar. Uh, Vosen, uh, they can see that Parsons has logged in to find out about Daniels. And so he decides that he wants Parsons of Bourne killed as well which landy hits the roof over and that's basically the section now isn't it it, it, daniels is killed by a car bomb which when i think of this film him being blown apart blown away by that car bomb born being blown out the way that sticks in my mind yeah because it's quite uh it's quite a clever bit because he drops a bag he drops a bag and you think that's the bomb but it's actually the motorcycle yeah, it's a it's, it's a decoy, and he, and he actually may bomb actually makes him stop, which yeah. would ultimately end up putting him right place for a bomb. Yeah, if he'd driven past another few feet, he may have survived. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so because he knew Bourne was tracking him, really clever actually. Um, so Bourne manages to kill Desh, but this is the bit we're talking about. This is a long sort of sequence of chases across roofs. Mm-hmm. If you look at our social media tonight, we said we were recording this. The GIF is direct for him jumping through, jumping onto the balcony and through like a window. Jumping through the window. I think that, that was one of the big set pieces of, of of this film. But it just screams like Quantum for me now. Quantum yeah. did that. You know, he he, go, he breaks through the window and kills Mr. Slate. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> exactly the same. And then he put on a jacket, and that's the same jacket Bourne's wearing, or at least extremely reminiscent. And we're, we're, Chris is right, because we're, 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 that is a long action sequence that's just basically Desh is killed. Um, I, I do love that um, that the bike chase through like all the markets and everything. I think that's a really cool chase. It's done. It's, it, it looks really slick. It's edited, put together really well. It does feel like for me definitely the action in this film yeah. does it, kind of let up. But I, yeah, I quite admire it, that, that chase scene. That was copied by Skyfall as well. Going up. It's the best it was, part I know. Sorry, it's the Chris. Best, it's the best part of the film. I'll be honest. It is. It's, yeah, this is basically what I'm trying to say. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I do. Th- I, 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 Skyfall vibes for sure. I do think like the fight itself is a bit. Um, uh, underwhelming, uh, you know, after like that. Uh, it speaks huge... of little time to choreograph. I think. I think mm. they were running out of time in Tangier or wherever they filmed that, that actual fight. I think they were running out of time because, because by Bourne standards, it's quite weak. Although he's hitting him with a book and stuff, and I'm thinking of John Wick. That all yeah, these I mean, do, yeah. like it, it starts. It starts off well, you know, with shaky cam and clip, but and, and then it just kind of ends with just like, oh, okay. That, that it, yeah, it's like they didn't have enough time. It speaks to a film that's being made up. I think what I, I want to make clear is it's not about disliking this film. If anything, we're paying Supremacy a compliment. Because if, if Ultimatum and Supremacy were both the standard of this film, we'd still say what a good trilogy it was. I just mm-hmm. think Supremacy set the bar higher than this film can reach. But... He then goes through Daniel's case, which is all charred, but he finds some paperwork for the CIA bureau in yeah. New York. Well, he, he sends Nikki away. You know, she dyes her hair. She um, dyes her hair, which is meant to evoke Marie. And she's like, "You don't remember at all." Yeah, just a little bit like that. I kind of felt it was that bit forced. I was like, "Do you really need to do that?" I don't. I don't believe there were ever a relationship. The two of them have no romantic chemistry. It gives her a look when she's dying her hair, but I think that's probably largely because it kind of reminds him of. Of going at that time when, her, she, yeah. when she dyed her hair and when you know it's that kind of. But it is almost possible for one person to have chemistry. I know it sounds odd, but like the the guy or the woman may convince you, and the other one doesn't. And I, I yeah, think you, don't know. I, I, you know it, it's just yes, she's a professional, but she's shown no hint of any of this, and it just seems like what no. do we need to do? What are the emotional stakes for Bourne? Perhaps he's got to protect somebody. Um, we don't want it just to be about him and his life. He's, we need him to protect someone. What if he'd had a relationship with Nikki? You can hear the sort of you can, you can see you can see the brain working. The brain working, the, yeah. The, the, the gears got gears grinding. Can't speak there for a minute. Mm. Um, but I like I like how like she smiles at the end. Like once he's he jumps out the window. I love um, that smile. At and the end. And, and into the river, and you just kind of think, oh, is he dead? Isn't he all dead? Because he's barely a smile. Something. They say the body's kind of, not yeah, been found. You just think, ah, you know, she she knows what's going on. So see, it it would have made a bit more sense had Nikki Parsons be like the leaker. Maybe uh, she's the mole. And, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, and and so like that gives that gives Bourne reason to like. Gosh, it, it instantly makes sense why she's now a target. Mm. Um, 
But it could be that you know that it, it, that the whole uh, what, what's the chap's name? Is it um, which one? It, the, the the actual leaker in the film, Daniels. Daniels, Neil Daniels. Yeah, yeah it could have been that um, it, they thought, it, or maybe it was both of them. Like it was, she was already in league with Daniels. To well, that's why it. she was there. Yeah. I'll and then that gives her a bit more of a tie to Bourne. Maybe that's what pricked her conscience that she had yeah. feelings for Bourne, or at least. But didn't what like what was being done to me. It didn't have to be a relationship. It never yeah. had to be anything relationship. It could just be she didn't like what had happened to such a long time colleague of hers. Yeah. And I, not every film needs romance. Oh no! Well, just like uh, I know I'm, I'm wanna, you know I want to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. But you, uh, we need a bit of a let up, don't you, from all the sort of the action and, and the gloom and everything as well. Like again, he doesn't. You don't see him smile in this film randomly. He's a serious expression all the way through. Obviously, because it's a very serious film. Well, um, there's lacking of any puns for me. There's no. Uh... Yeah, there's, there's no puns. What, there's do, no do you content. think it would have been better if on the way down the street in Tangier he just stopped and watched a Punch and Judy show? <laughs> and then. Or <laughs> maybe maybe could have you know eaten. Some, he could have, eat, he could have eaten Julia Stiles. I'd have gone with that. Oh, well, that's what I wasn't going to say. Well, when, I do when, have a fun fact when, about... When, um, when Paddy Constantine got shot in the head, he could have gone like, you know, that's not a way to lose your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind um, of punning line at the end, perhaps. No, we come to the call that's at the end of the last film, and I didn't do a time check, because I think I said last week it was two-thirds of the way through this film. And I, I, I don't know if it was, or halfway, or three-quarters. I didn't look at the time. Um, but he rings in. Now, I said last week, and I'd forgotten... When you looked at all his passports in The Bourne Identity, his birthday was something like August 1969. Matt Damon himself was October, is October 1970. And at the end of the last film where she says, please wait, David Webb, 4-15-71. Uh, so I'm like, oh, he's about six, seven months younger than, uh, six months younger than Matt Damon then, effectively. Well, it turns out, it turns out, and they find out, he was actually born September 70. That was a coded message to mm. him. And I hate it because if she said 4.15.71 and left it at that, the reveal letter would have meant something. But he visually flashed in his mind 4.15 as a, as a, a number on a building and 71st Street. So he flashed I struggle, it. I struggled like that as a strategy that would work. Because he might go, oh, that's, 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 that, he could go, that's my actual birthday then. Yeah. Well, well, oh right. Oh, you're telling me a code. And, and I mean, he's not going to look in a mirror and go, "I'm clearly seven months older than that." <laughs> is he? <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, but you know what I mean. But like, even if it is a coded message, it's not quite clear that she means specifically that particular thing. No, but he it? flashes it like... up in case we don't get it. What would have yeah. been better is if he if he'd played a hunch on it. If he'd no flashback, no nothing, he'd gone there. The only reason it's plausible is it's where he trained. Somewhere deep-seated in his memory is 415 71st Street. That makes sense. If she'd given him some coded message that was a fucking Chinese restaurant in Chinatown or something, then fair enough. But this is coded deep within him somewhere. So it's okay. I just wish they hadn't gone born for dummies again. If they they hadn't gone, the audience won't get that. It's like, well, why do we need to see it flash it in his mind? Because I'd forgotten it was a code completely. I've not seen this film in years. Then it flashes in his mind. It's like right, she's telling him to go there. And then of course he messages her, and Rosen intercepts it to say, "Go to this place, come alone." And it's like, well, that's not the place he's just seen. So we know that's a decoy. 
So the yeah. film just doesn't trust us. Well, I mean, one of the things I did, I did, um, did pick up on, which I thought was a bit odd. Now, you know, the last film we did, we basically got the recap of the last film with the whole like Bourne's Bourne's like watching this whole time, or like you know that kind of that kind of own that kind of thing, like you know, um, you know, just just hand the phone over. She's standing right next to you, or you look tired, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, then, and then and then almost like five ten minutes later, he's on the phone to um, Stratham's character, and he says like, well, you know, we'd be having this conversation face to face. It's just like well, that's you know you've just done the exactly same thing, but ten minutes ago. So you almost feel like there's a bit too much repetitive, straight. You know, it would have worked if there was like, mm. if there was like, if it was like forty minutes into the film again, you would the have. The like... thing is, of course. I mean, I did laugh because they need to read their own script back, not just for pacing, but repetition within it. You've you've just said it about that, but he calls for a perimeter to be set up of a different number of blocks mm. three times in about four or five minutes. Set up a perimeter, 12 blocks, right? A couple of minutes later, plans change. Set up a four-block perimeter. Two months later, I want two, two minutes later, I want a three-block perimeter. And it's like, this is not playing so well. I think the other thing is, of course, they say Jason Bourne has got his eyes on Pamela Landy. He is within a 1,000 metres of, or yards, mm. I forget what they use over there. He's within a 1,000 metres of this building. Um, they didn't leave anybody in the building? He just walked straight into Strathern's office, or Vosen's office, the character's called, and, like, no one was there to spot it? Nobody? <laughs> not, not even, like, secretaries? Or... I was going to say, when they all said every agent out there no, looking for him, did all the cleaners run out and say, well, I'll have a go as well, if you like? <laughs> I've seen uh, spy yeah, films, yeah. I can do this. Yeah, you meant, I mean, everyone. <laughs> everyone. Yeah, there's not one person left in the building. We know he's good at getting around undetected, but this is the deputy director of the CIA's office with all these private files in there, which is voice yeah. activated, which he was quite cleverly recorded. The film isn't uniformly stupid by any means, the way he records his voice and then plays it to the thing because he has a hunch it's like voice activated. Um, so he steals everything on Blackbriars, and what what you see, we still don't really know what Blackbriar is other than it's Black Ops, it has killed foreign leaders and stuff, which is illegal. But also, there's a big, big list of agents that have been killed. So basically, they've killed their their whole audit trail. Um, mm. And basically, he steals it while he's out looking for him at the false location. But we know it's a false location. He eventually goes to the right place, hands it to Landy, who goes inside and just faxes it wherever it needs to go. Be that like... I don't know who runs the CIA. What would it be? The State Department or something? I don't know. But whoever that needs to go to, she she faxed it through. Yeah. Um, which doesn't reflect well on Vosen in the last shots of the film, because he, he's beaten. There's absolutely no reason that he would do what he does at the end. I'm going down for this, so I might as well go down for murder as well. So, what do we do now? He's, he's He gives it to her uh, before he, he goes in, and Albert Finney gets a phone call he was the guy who trained him basically gets a phone call saying he's coming mm. to you from Scott Glenn I think and he says that's alright I'll keep him busy till your men arrive in fact it's Vosen he gets the call from and basically mm. we get the full story from the flashback which I remember when I first saw the film the whole pacing of the film died for this point it's almost like the mystery is more interesting than the answer the, the whole sort of flashback to what happened in that that office if you like didn't wildly interest me but he had to kill an, int an, a, 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 somebody in there and he had to pledge his allegiance and he got his new name 
and it was like is that it all right but basically albert finney's a bit wasted in this he just keeps him busy until vosen's men arrive and then we're away for the car chase Aren't we? No, doesn't the car chase happen before? Or was the car chase first? Yeah, yeah, the car chase is, is before. How does the car chase kick off then? Uh, well, he he drive he, he drives off the parking lot, and then and then uses a cop car. That's from the first place. No, hang on. That's he when he leaves the office. A, a police car with another yeah. car. Is that when he leaves uh, the office first? They're on yes. to the fact he's yeah. there. Yeah. Sorry, I've got that wrong. It looks like it's a high-speed chase, but I think due to like local safety laws, yeah, they didn't go, go it was like 35 miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, it was either 30 like or 35. I forget which. You, you may yeah, know. Yeah, it's okay. like so, very safe speed, and it looks like it's going is, at 100 miles an hour. But the problem is, by this point, it it's it's the Bourne supremacy redux again, isn't it? I know they've got a car chase in every one. It's the Bourne car hunt. I, I, did, car I didn't. I didn't car chase. The Bourne well, man supremacy's hunt. car chase was totally different from identities, and they're both brilliant. Exactly. I didn't think exactly. this was sufficiently different. But also, we have a bike chase and we have a foot chase, so we're kind of getting a lot of bang for our buck here. Sorry, yeah. yes. There's the car. There's the, the the yeah. He gets past. And we have a foot chase too. Which he I gets past the guy Ross who killed Simon Ross. He gets him at a gunpoint and then doesn't fire, spares his life, and then goes on. He, he says the Clive Warren line, which is like. Oh no, that's the end, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's look, the end. Look, yeah, look yeah, what, the, what they make you give. Yeah, he yeah. says two lines, doesn't he? The first one he says is, uh, "You don't even know why you're here to kill me." He doesn't. It's just, mm. it's just like I'm holding a gun, um, but I don't know why I'm doing it. It's like this is what you make. So you the give false up. memory, the memories of his sort of false birthday, um, trigger him to go there. Oh, and I haven't really got a lot to say there. Obviously, we've done the Albert Finney bit, and then the bit after that is all Vosen's men turn up, and he gets onto the roof by the river. Thankfully. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a pool down there. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally, I was watching this like with a friend, we were chatting online, and literally that's the line he said, that I didn't know there was a pool down there. He gets through to Paz, Paz isn't going to shoot him, but then Vosen appears and fires at him just as he jumps, so we don't even know if he, yeah. if he was hit. Vosen probably assumed he hit him, Paz probably assumed he hit him, and then they didn't find a body for three days. And I think he played dead under the water for a few minutes and then sort of swam off. Yeah. To Moby. To Moby. And yeah, then it's we've like got the third time they've been used, but a three day search. Of pa- extreme ways. Parsons is somewhere warm watching like MSNBC or whatever. And they say, you know, um, uh, Bourne, they didn't find the body. And so she just smiles. And, uh, and of course, the last shot mirrors the first shot of the first film, which again. You can argue how sensible that is, because part of me would like them to have cut on her smiling. But the shot's got a nice echo with the first film. Mm. And I got a little bit of that feeling I got at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Why did they try to follow that? Mm. That's actually where you end it. That's where you're done. You know? Yeah, it was, yeah. I was like with the, with the ending of the last film, for example, mm. um, they had to kind of write themselves... But, well, they, they basically wrote themselves into a corner, didn't they? They kind of they tied everything all up, and then you know to open the next film, they kind of had to you know, write themselves out of that corner again. Um, so it's you know picking up again off, off the last film where they already had to write themselves into a corner. And, well, I just think that um, to kind of undo it all again. Born, born Legacy aside, which is a different beast, we'll talk about like, next week. And I, I've got real problems with that film because it it almost the way they train their agents it, it is almost like devaluing Jason Bourne's skills in a bit because they're they're basically drugs. Um, but we'll come on to that like next time. But 
when you get to Jason Bourne, which I've only seen once, if you go back to the 2016 summer review, Chris and I talk about it there. Um, we definitely talked about it, me and him, but as one of many, many films, so not for that long. But I do remember being disappointed for a number of reasons. Uh, some of them are quantifiable in that it's been nine years. You're bringing him back. Oh, you must have a great idea. And then they didn't. But part of it was him swimming off at the end of this. You just hope he can find some peace. He's dealt with his past. He's he's dealt with his guilt over Marie. He's done the right thing with Landy. He's sort of... He's made Nicky run, unfortunately, but at least he's enabled her to do the right thing. And maybe he'll find some peace. And you've echoed the first shot of the first film. Perfect. Then you bring him back nine years later and he never found any peace, did he? As we'll find out in a couple yeah. of weeks' time when we review it. And I think, like, I'd rather have left it with on that note of, like, possible hope. Yeah. I'd... Well, I mean, it's, it's it, again, it's like, well, what do you expect? You know, you sort of like, you have to you know, go back to the well and, you know, it's like, they'll live happily after after? Well, not really. No, I know. You know, it's it's the same with Star Wars now. No, I never yeah. expected them to completely stop making Star Wars product, but but when you completely undermine the end of like Return of the Jedi and, and make that that trilogy effectively meaningless, that's not good. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, what what what's it? I was, I was thinking, oh uh, yeah, I was like, um, I, I think I said to you with, um, uh, I was talking about uh, the new Jurassic Park film, Jurassic World, which I um, haven't seen yet. You two which, have though. which you haven't seen. And I, I think I mentioned to you on chat, like you know, like compare that to like how they deal with the old the old characters, like from the from the original film, like they are exactly where they are, pretty much. It's what they did with Han Solo. We want we want yeah. him as a rogue smuggler, so we'll undo what his life what we'll all do undo and, all his life. And it's like you compare that to say Top Gun Maverick, where it's clearly the same character, but there has been some changes but you can clearly identify that well that's maverick that is maverick but an older version that has like gone through some stuff and he's still he's still got a bit of immaturity about him in some ways but at the same time you can also see he's carrying like nearly four decades of experience yeah he still retains the same character beats but yeah he's grown he's developed but you can recognize him like this is this is the same guy but you know i but whereas what everyone else tends to do is kind of just revert back to like how they were, mm. and it's just it's just such a waste, and it's just like it, it's it's that it's it's actually a, probably a crime to storytelling, really. When you look at it, it's just it, it it's really redundant. The problem is with, with the way cinema, with the way social media is now, it's very difficult. In that, when you look at the Force Awakens, they they basically went, let's give them the Han Solo they love. Which isn't somebody who's been married for thirty years and responsible with two kids and all the rest of it. It's it's actually the smuggler who's like gallivanting mm. around with Chewie doing dodgy deals. Yeah. Which 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 I think is a misreading. I think it's a misreading of it. I completely agree. But then Ryan Johnson comes along and says, Well, in thirty years Luke's not gonna be the same man and if the Empire effectively rose again, he's gonna be quite disillusioned. And so many of the fans went, that's a fucking betrayal, he should be a Jedi hero. Um, I think there's a little bit of validity in that argument that if you've got that much investment in the in the character, maybe you would want him to be a wiser old man. But 
I don't know. I, I, they're a bit damned if they do and damned if they don't. But I just think sometimes, you know, Indy finished in the perfect place and then they brought it back years later. And now they're bringing it back years later again. Sometimes these gambles work. But sometimes a film just finishes on a perfect shot. And I just think, mm. like, that's where you leave it. That's perfect. In fact, if I'd been editing the film, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the intelligence to leave it there. I, I'd have, I'd have probably cut on Nicky smiling because that's just a hint to us he's still alive. But actually, because yeah. it mirrors the first shot of the first film, they left it on the right shot. Mm. Um, you know, as, for for me, I just think that the less you can think about the film, the better it is, and that's not because it's stupid. It isn't. It's not like um, what films do I think are stupid? The second Jurassic World film, really, really dumb. Moment you think about it. Uh, there's a couple of the Bond films where the moment you think about them, the Goldeneye. Goldeneye is a beloved film, but you think about it for five minutes and none of the it plot makes any sense. Yeah, falls apart tremendously. Falls apart incredibly. But it's still amazing to be on the big screen, though. Myself and we were all blown away by it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of those. Uh, there are quite a lot of films that hold up like that. You just think about it and it just all just falls away. You just think, oh god, suspend your disbelief. <laughs> this isn't falling apart because it's stupid. Cause it, yeah, cause it's it's falling <laughs> apart. It's not even falling apart, but it, it's damaged by the fact that if you've seen any great number of films in your life, you can see the meetings. You can see we best put a little image in his mind there to tell the audience. Yeah, you can kind of see how, how they, you, you know, by committee, you can see how they wrote it. I don't know that they said we need a love interest, but I, I can almost guarantee in a meeting somewhere they said we need someone for Jason to protect in this portion of the film. So they crammed her in as a love interest there's no loving in the film we, they don't re-hook they don't hook up or anything uh, which was a wise decision but you can also see that they went into the film with the, the idea of well we definitely want to finish it in new york so let's get onto the logistics of how we do a car chase in new york early because we're gonna have to do it on the streets so they probably blocked that out quite early they probably were sort of doing it like on the hoof as i say because they started mm. production without really that you know with just the hint of, of a decent script really and kind of had to do it as as they went along um so there's always things you've got to be kind of knocked out afterwards really haven't they so yeah and it's not like i say it's not that it's stupid i'm not i'm not saying don't think well, about similar it to quantum as well they had all the all the difficulties with the strikes and various other um they did industrial issues going on at the time and you can kind of see you know that's that's probably why they ended up with the shortest film in the series Th- this film so, was released a couple of months before that strike started this one. it was but I'm just, I'm just trying to say that there are production issues that you know you, you can see that do eventually appear on the screen. But I think the way I was just going to summarise that it, it it's not that plot points don't make sense, they tend to. It's not that character actions don't make sense, because they tend to. It's that you can see it all being held together mm. with a bit of sticking plaster this time. There's there's Like Chris says about the fight with Desh, that they haven't got time to do it properly. So they haven't done it properly. The car chase, they've worked out what streets they can use, but they haven't worked out how to make it sufficiently different from Supremacy's car chase. The love interest, they've got to put something in there because Bourne needs to protect somebody. Um, the, the the clue from Landy, I take Chris's point, it's an opaque clue, it could be missed, but then what has she got to lose? She may as well go and try it. But that building meant something to him, so it might trigger something. But we don't. That's the one time in the film we don't need to see what goes on in his head because you've just told us where he's going. That should come as a oh, that's clever. A bit later on, so it's it's a bit like the Born Supremacy, but rushed. It, it, it's the Born Supremacy if it was rushed, and the script had too many cooks. That's I think that's the way I would summarise it. 
And is that like is that a final thoughts? I think all I would add to that as a final thought is that it, it, we've done this about a number of films. I, I remember doing it years ago about Back to the Future Part Two. If you listen to that show, you'd think I hate that film, and I mm. think it's like really inventive. But we were just doing what we do as we go through it. It's like that bit doesn't work as they would like it to work, and that's a bit of a betrayal of Biff's character and stuff like that. And once you take out the sheer invention of that film the first film's a lot more grounded for such a sci-fi concept. You know, Marty's kids looking identical to him and stuff like that. That's not how Mm. it works. You see it with Star Trek now. Every generation of, like, Data's creator looks exactly the same. Like, it's just Brent Spiner. Um, And has been for centuries. The inbreeding in that family must be rife. But um, I think it's not... It's not that it's stupid. It's... it's, I'm damning it with faint praise... On first viewing, when I hadn't seen Supremacy, I knew that I, for a while, I knew I didn't enjoy it quite as much. But I think it was things like when he finally met Albert Finney, I found that scene a bit flat. And I, I knew I didn't enjoy the car chase as much as I did with the one in... I mean, they even finished the same way, just a massive crunch into like a pillar. That's how the one in the tunnel finishes in the second film. I knew I didn't like it quite as much, but I thought quality-wise they were probably of a piece. But I just had a preference for the second one. Having watched them now a week apart, having probably not seen them since 2007 or 8, Supremacy is a far stronger film. And I would go as far... Identity is a far stronger film as well. Um, It's not in a different universe of quality. It's good. it's It's a decent Bourne film. But I think it's the weakest of the first three. Well, this podcast is going to be quite short, isn't it? Um, I thought it was like if, it, well, if there's, you know, it depends how long your uh, fun facts are going to be. It depends how long. Well, I've, I've only got four. Yeah, and, and, and we've got, and we're going to do an Albert Finney career retrospective to sort of pad <laughs> it out a bit. And also, we've got extra news. Saturday night, Sunday morning. <laughs> What's yeah, the, Saturday night. Yeah, we'll go through his back catalogue. You know, <laughs> through the, through the um, kitchen sink, through to the swinging sixties. Wolfen, one um, for Charlie there. Big Wolfen fan. Yep, definitely. Um, and also, listeners, we've got extra news about our future exploits coming up soon as well. We'll do that um, in a bit, yeah. Yeah, we'll do that in a bit, definitely. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, if a film's, if there isn't much to it, or if it's not very good, or um, it's, or if it's a, a very short film. Um, yeah, I know, but uh, such a short review it's... of this film makes it seem like it was really bad, and it's not. It well, really, exactly, really isn't. This is it. Exactly, but, if it, you know, if it's a big chunker of a film you know if he's a bit of a chomp um or if it's if it's quite meaty if there's a lot to it then it will be three hours long like no time to die for example um but yeah that's not the case here i mean obviously you know you start plucking holes at it and obviously there were production issues on production Um, so much more happened in identity for example didn't it well it really did (laughs) it really did you know um but i'm I'm quite intrigued i'm intrigued to check out the the last two films in this series um, because I've not seen them. I think they've been on TV recently, and I've, I've got them recorded too cheap to buy the DVDs. Um, but that would be quite interesting to kind of see. And obviously, we have the five- or six-year gap again, like we did with the Bond films, um, between like Ultimatum, Ultimatum Legacy um, and then Bourne. So. Um, but now, as I say, I think in, when you start to look at like the plot, like minutiae of like, the plot and storyline, it does kind of fall away a little bit. Um, you've got some really big names here, as we mentioned at the top of the show, like Daniel Brawl, David Chaffin, who I totally forgot, uh, Scott Glenn, oh my god, Freddie Constantine, and Albert Finney, oh my gosh. Um, it just seems to use these amazing talents so sparingly. Obviously, Daniel Brawl wasn't the big star that he is now, um, 
I, yeah, I, I maintain that it probably was that breakout film, 2004, and then obviously The Glorious Bastards, etc., etc. Um, but check it out and check out Rush as well. Highly recommend it, even though I know nothing about Formula One. Um, but you don't but need highly to. enjoyed that film. You don't need no, to. No, this is it. I, I found it really accessible. Um, really well directed, for sure. Um, but yeah, where was I? <laughs> but yeah, no, it's one of those things it uses, you know, it kind of, for me, I kind of thought, well, you know, this, the, the cast certainly does pack a punch, brings out big guns, um, and uses them really, really sparingly to the point where it's, it's almost a fault. Um, but for me, the, the high points of this film, that there's perhaps a little bit, it, the, the low Manhattan car chase, for example, I did think the shaky cam as it is, was a little bit too overused. And for me, it did kind of call back, um, like quantum pre-titles where you perhaps don't quite know what's going on. Um, or it's a little bit disorienti- disorienting. Um, however, that said, it's still, um, in terms of the action, um, in terms of these real in-camera set pieces, you know, Greengrass leaves little, um, you know, to do with CGI. He tries to do everything in-camera as physically as, as you can. There are some sort of, you know, sort of visual tricks, um, some sort of CGI elements there that it does date a little bit. Obviously, this was 2006, 2007. Um, you know, technology's moved on a little bit since then. Um but yeah, for me so far, the first three films, it is kind of, for, for the action, um, for me it's one of the best. But in terms of plot, the story, it's quite flimsy. Um, but still, no, really enjoyable film, enjoyable film and um, worthy entry into the series. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Deep breath. Anyway, Chris. Yeah. Um, Sorry. So, yeah, I think this is... If you had asked me going in, you know, before watching it, I'd say this is probably the better of the of the three so far. Um, but yeah, I think I kind of with Dave, I think I prefer the second one. Uh, while I, I do, as I said, I do like the the non-stop like relentlessness of it. The story itself doesn't really hold much water. Um, so just a few bits here and there, bit too much shaky cam. Um, it yeah, it, it it's not as quite as tight as 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 it could be. Uh, but other than that, I I think it's I think it's decent enough. Um, but that, yeah, that that's about as much I can really say, isn't it really. But um, but the reason why I'm struggling is because I I just don't know too much about it, Dave. I don't either. I mean, I I just I put it on and you know it, I was waiting for him to like argue. You like with, it, don't you? I, I I was I was waiting for him to chat with Judy Dench and it didn't happen. <laughs> and and then and then I thought he was gonna like not have sex with Camille and and to be fair he didn't. Um and and then like he, I thought he'd be like I never left and that would be it. But, yeah, he uh, gives him a sort of a, a love knot, doesn't he? And, and then I'm like, who the fuck's David Webb? Who's this guy? Why was he not? He doesn't have the right date of birth. And I'm just like, he was born three times. Did like his mum stuff her back up there three times? You know, (laughs) she had him in 70, put him back up there to come out again the following year. And then again in 71. And then she got confused (laughs) as to what to call him. And then like, you know. He was called born, you know. And he probably wanted to work for Firestone. He probably wanted to sell tyres. This is it. So, Becca, help us out. He's trashed trash enough cars so um yeah unfortunately i've only got four fun facts for you this week um we've had quite a lot going through about tom stoppard that was an amazing fact i never knew that um let's have a look yeah fun fact number one i think i might have said one of these last week so apologies if i'm repeating myself um born automatic was the only film out of the trilogy to be nominated and win on win, win an oscar um it won all three that it was nominated for what um, was fun it fact nominated number two, for do you know 
I've actually got it written down, but that that section of the page is missing, and I can't That's remember. That's all right. I'll see if I can find it. I, can, I do apologise. Um, for fact number two. I've got it. Um, I've got it. I've got it. Yeah, that's it, what, it, 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 on IMDb.com. Uh, best film editing, best sound editing, best sound mixing. So it won both. I, I knew it was more it, the technical It, it basically won both sound awards because there's editing and mixing. They're, they're, yeah. They're, the differences between awards. them are quite subtle. If I sat and thought about it, I could tell you what they are, and the names aren't entirely clear. It's not quite no. what it... Uh, and best film editing is uh, taking the piss, to be honest. It's one of those things, isn't it? If it's if it's not going to win on like sort of cast or you know, script or whatever, then it's going to pick up some some technical awards. Um, that's kind of what you know what we hope for Bond as well. So, um, fun fact number two, which is taken from a random fact website, um, beginning of Ultimatum takes place directly after Supremacy, but the production gap was several months, so it was already January and it was too cold to film. Um, so by the time they moved elsewhere, they had to like fake all the snow um, because otherwise it it thawed out. Um, Made up of paper and snow, obviously, because it wouldn't melt. Uh, paper and fake snow, um, like foam, because obviously it, it wouldn't melt because um, it was already getting too hot. Um, fun fact number three, um, the Café Nicky Cheese's meeting place in Tangiers is the famous Café de Puri, um, which was, uh, so I imagine it is kind of like almost, obviously not that kind of stuff, but from like sort of classic era, maybe when it was when very much like an international city, um, it would often be a favourite haunt of like spies and emissaries so there's a lot of kind of like spies and um, mysterious goings on associated with Café de Peru apparently um, and also um, who sends a fax these days? <laughs> Pamela sends quite, quite a lot of faxes towards the end of this film um, and the number of flip phones as well obviously this that was that was the Uruguay technology back in the day um, but nowadays nobody has a flip phone Nobody uses it, sends a fax, except maybe if you're in Japan, because um, they're at once in the future and stuck in the past. Um, but apparently, um, one of the uh, when she's kind of faxing over all the, all the agents that Bourne is, is supposed to have killed, um, one of them is Richard Chamberlain, who of course was the OG Bourne in the series in the 80s, as we mentioned at the very start of this Bourne retrospective series. So that's my four fun facts about this film. That's four fifths fun, folks. <laughs> yes, I'll try to bring five next time. That's all right. Yeah, these, these films aren't very fun, uh, so, you know. They're not really. No, <laughs> hopefully next time. We really thought this was the end of Bourne. I mean, uh, Greengrass expressed no interest. He went on to do Green... I got this wrong last time. Green Zone. Green Zone. Green Zone, that's it. Green Zone. Um, he went to do Green Zone, and then obviously United 93, and I think United 93 was after that. Um no, and I think it was actually before this because it came out before. Was it two thousand and five? Uh, yeah. Was it? It came. Yeah, it came out before uh, Casino okay. Royale. Right. So it's ca- fine. Okay. So yeah, that was his. T- that but was his basically, yeah, but he did, he did, he went on to do Green Zone anyway with Matt Damon. They yeah. clearly like working with each other. Damon said exactly what Bale said about Nolan. You know, I won't do the part again without him. Yeah. And right. Greengrass said, I've really got no interest in doing it. I've said everything I wanted to say. And years went by, and the studio said we don't want to leave this property this film did 444 mm. million at the worldwide box office they definitely did okay didn't they it's the highest grossing Bourne film Jason Bourne did over 400 I can't remember the exact figure but I know it did over 400 uh, next week's film we'll talk about when we get there but it it, it grossed somewhere between the first two but obviously they, they thought there was more to tell with this whole sort of Treadstone Blackbriar world. So they, they came out with the film we're going to cover next week with a star with which we're very familiar. We'll come back to that in a bit. Uh, my memory of that film is not good. Uh, but I did see it for free 
back in the sort of sea film first days. So I got a free ticket to that. Oh god, yeah, I remember that. I did as well, actually. Yeah, it was good fun. I went to see it on a Sunday morning with Malcolm, who you met at my wedding. Um, and it was yeah. like a Sunday morning and we came out and we were both baffled by it but for reasons that will become <laughs> clear when we talk about it because I, I don't like what it does to the whole world in terms of a plot idea but it was more about where the film ends because if you take the film at, on its terms he's good in it Rachel Vice is really good in it as I recall I've seen it once 10 years ago um, and I remember the action being all right because I mean, he, he'd done like he'd done like Mission Impossible Four the year before, and uh, that would have been out after they were making this probably. But he was really good at hand to hand. He was really good. So I, I just thought like, but yeah, it's where the film ends. But we'll come back to that one. And then obviously four years after that, Greengrass and and Damon come back for. And I think by then they looked like analog men in a digital world. It was just there was just something about Greengrass now in his sixties doing all this sort of high tech bollocks. It was like you know, it was it was like twenty four, but everything's running on like DOS. So we'll get to that next week. I, I def- uh, in a couple of weeks, I definitely thought that had a, a, a slightly lower IQ. Like but again, it, it quickly becomes a bit passe, doesn't it? Like everyone everyone starts doing it. Like you know, it's like Chris said, you know, you start copying it, and it's not. Not yeah, this is the era of 24 as well, when they were constantly on phones to each other and, you yeah. know, trying to decode, sharpen up pictures, CCTV pictures of somebody and cross-referring it with their file and send it through to my phone and all that shit. That was this Didn't era of, this was this era, yeah. Well, yeah, he didn't have a fax machine in his car, Jack Bauer, to be No, I, I, just, I was just so blown away. I was like, when is the last time you send a fax? I mean, I, listeners, if you work an office job and you still fax, I'm sure it does happen. Pulls over to the side of the road because it's like telegram for Mr. Bauer. <laughs> Carrier pigeon, you know. <laughs> now, I'm sure there are businesses who do still send faxes. So, yeah, we got two more to go in this series, one of which is kind of back with this crew, but it, it's a different, it's it's almost a different generation, even though it's only nine years, which goes by in the blink of an eye. We've been going seven, but... Uh, That's scary, isn't it? But oh, although it goes in a blink of an eye, it, it just felt a different world by the time it came back. The 2000s were with that post-9-11, which is a cliche to say in itself, but it definitely had an effect on about, nine to 11 years of cinema depending on how well, it you did it really it. did it just changed the landscape irreparably really. and i just think like 2016 was just a different time not necessarily a better time because trump was elected later that year but but what i'm saying is it just i didn't the have Brexit a problem well. I, did, I didn't have a problem with Bourne coming back at all but it just somehow didn't fit but i've, I've only seen the two films we're covering next once each that said, not... there is something we're talking about covering where I've dealt with the constituent part bits more often. Becca, do you, would you like to make the announcement? So, yeah, I'm not quite sure we need to work out the fine details, but yes. Prompted we... by Well, prompted by a message from Chris the other day asking, showing an interest in doing this. Yes, what we'd like to do is we'd like to go through, <clears throat> read and review all the Ian Fleming James Bond books, starting with Casino Royale and working our way through. Um, listeners, we'd like to have you along. Um, obviously, we won't be doing it in, in, with video, just as our normal podcast as, as we do. Um, maybe perhaps thinking of some questions that we can ask ourselves to generate a bit of discussion. Um, but w- whether or not you read it in book form or listen to the audiobook, um, that's fine. I, either is fine, both is fine. Oh, I think I've got both for every Fleming. I, I, uh, actually, a friend has kindly sent the file to me. I'll, I'll send it on, on to yourselves, Chris and Dave, if I want to save you any pennies, I don't know. 
You've got audio. Um, no, no, audio I've, I've, I've I've got them on all on Kindle. Oh, but, fabulous! Yeah, but I've, I've now got I've now got all Fleming on audiobook as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. But yeah, so listen, that's what we'd like to do. We'd like to sort of read and review all the Inflammy James Bond books, um, and that will include short stories. Um, I don't know if we'll include like Diamond Smugglers or Thrilling Cities, depending on what other of you guys say. But because they're not directly born. Uh, well, at the moment we're doing we're we're going to cover the fourteen releases by yeah. Ian Fleming. Just yeah, we'll do that. So um, so the 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 short stories, for example. So Octopussy and the Living Daylights, or and or yeah, we'll whatever. include those. We will do like where where there's a book of short stories and there's three stories in there. We'll do that as one show. We'll do a yep. show. We'll do a show for each release, starting with Casino Royale. If we enjoy it and Chris enjoys them as well, because now we've announced it, Chris has to read them all. <laughs> but luckily, they're quite they're generally quite easy reads. They're quite short. If we get to the end and he goes, "I love Bond, but I'm glad that's over," then we're not going to turn to him and say, "Do you want to do Forever in a Day?" Next? <laughs> do you want to carry on and do the John Gardner continuation novels? <laughs> I don't know if I don't think we're going to do it. Just I don't think we're going to do it in one hit. I I don't think. No, I think we'll, we'll probably do it like we do the commentaries, like interspersed. Perhaps in, in between a series, or because we we're, we're kind of we're coming to the, not coming to the end of Bond, but we're kind of running out of Bond. Whereas obviously we've done we've reviewed all the films, um, we've only got maybe three or four commentaries left to do. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, what, what other aspects of Bond content um, can, Chris, we, uh, Chris can we move asked, on to? I, I didn't want to spoil the announcement, so I didn't spell it out. Chris wrote to us the other day because we've got like a messenger chat for the three of us. And we got a separate one with Charlie as well when we talked to him. But um, we 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 talk we were talking the other day and he said, "Where would you start if you've never read a Bond book?" Yeah, we had different differing views, didn't we? Yeah, well, I, I, for context, I mean, obviously you, you go Casino Royale, obviously, but yeah, a bit, a bit, because and then like, Dave was like, "Oh no, you need to start because, with Forever in a Day." I was like, "Oh, that's an idea." Because I was like, um, you know, I've just got Audible, so I was like, "Oh, you know." I liked I the like the Fleming continuity, and I, and, I, and, I, and I was like, I was like, "Oh, shall I listen to um, the Anthony Horowitz?" Hor- Bon bon bon, and then then I, then I start ask the question, what am I best starting with? Or you know, but then I I, I really should read the Bond books I as think well. The only the only so, the only um, Bond I really love is that that timeline, if you like. So uh, I like Fleming. Not every Fleming book, I have to say. There's one or two I don't like, but yeah, we'll talk about them, and I'll I'll even read the one I tend to skip. Yeah, I'd rather we didn't skip any. We just—I know some of them. are very difficult. Anthony Horowitz is the only author. There are continuity errors, like you'll read in I think it's Casino Royale that he smoked this custom band brand of cigarettes for like twenty years, and then in for, and then in Forever in a Day you see him discover them for the first time, like a year late, earlier. But <laughs> a, 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 aside from a couple of continuity errors, he's captured it. It could be a lost Fleming. It totally could, and because it's in the same timeline. When I read that timeline, I just read from a forever and a day through to... Now, I must admit, the other two that are sort of in the timeline is Devil May Care, which is uh, Sebastian Fawkes. Mm-hmm. And it, that was released for Fleming's 100th birthday in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and Solo, the who wrote Solo? William Boyd, wasn't it? Uh, William Boyd, yep. And I don't really like either of those books very much. And I didn't... I know this will be blasphemy to some because it's <gasps> really, really liked, but I don't really like the fucking Kingsley Amos one either very much. What? I like the first act of it. I like the kidnap in the first act, which I won't spoil, but that, that's it. I've, I got quite bored with it. In fact, I sat down to read it one time, forgetting I'd read it two months before. 
Mind you, that, that is a bit of a chunk there. It's one of the longer ones, isn't I, it? I, I just think. got bored so. with it. So, really, I'm only interested in things that are strictly in the Fleming, Fleming timeline mm. and really Fleming or or um, Horowitz, because Horowitz Definitely. is a brilliant mimic. Definitely. I think um, we'll, we'll do... Anyway, just... just well, let's do Fleming. Let's do Fleming. Do you to read? We'll stick with Fleming for sure. We'll do Fleming. Um, let's just start Casino Royale and end... Yeah. We'll I, I, will, I, will, I will say this. He's He's got the, the titles right. Like forever a day sounds like a good title for. Well, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Orig- it original good. title. Um, with a mind with, to kill is pretty good as well. Yeah, that's yeah. really good, definitely. Yeah. Like, when, when, when it first kind of came out, uh, but, people were like, hmm, but, "What's going I, on?" But I, in the context of the story, it's pretty spot on. I, I think. I think you know we need to sort of get out of the. We need to sort of think outside the box for Bond movies and be like, um, yeah. for Bond titles, you don't have to sort of like be, you know, die of this. <laughs> never under die. Tomorrow. Never <laughs> in a die today, tomorrow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> tomorrow tells another die. The, the, the man with the, the man with the dead tomorrow. Die to kill what tomorrow. I would, what I would say about Fleming, <laughs> n- nothing's for everybody. But if you get on with it, very and few. And some, some of like some of the Gardner ones, and even some of the Raymond Benson ones. He's, which, he's like, driving a sub and drinking oh, and smoking oh, silk oh, a bit Like Bond title generator. It's, I think there's one called like. Um, oh, I've got I've got them on my shelf somewhere. My shelf, Bond shelf of doom. The funniest one, and I need, I mean no offense. Maybe lives forever, and those kind of you know Bond desk titles. He's a friend of mine on Facebook, and he's a really nice man, and his Bond books weren't bad. But I'm sorry, the facts of death was fucking hilarious as a title. Uh, it's the a great facts, title. It's, the facts it's, of it's, death. The facts of death. Instead of the facts of life. But no, I, I love his titles. Oh my god, I think Benson's probably like zero minus aside from was like, Young Bond. It's probably like and Horowitz my my favorite continuation author, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I just feel I mean Gardner's legendary but that, that's that's a fact or that or facts facts of death so not fun facts no facts of death as in like I, as in I, i've sent you a fax you should get it oh, facts, yeah. but no no so the thing i the thing i would say to look at if you want to read along with us and, you, and you've never read fleming uh, I'm not going to go into it now. I'm not inviting real conversation on it particularly, but there are some dated attitudes, and just be aware of that. I think we, we can discuss it when you know whenever we get round to it. We will discuss it. Only it only bothers mean... me in one place, honestly, because it's through all the books, but it only really pisses me off in one of them because it just gets too much. I thought, you said, why am I fucking reading this? <laughs> reading this sixty-year-old crap. His books average something like two hundred and fifty pages. They're not. They're not super long. No, and I would, I would go as far as they're a bit pot boiler. He's really good at description because I get bored with that in books. You get an author describing the sunrise, and it's like I don't care. The sun's up. What's, what's, the, what's happening? Description. But his descriptions of food and clothing and the environment's excellent. You can, yeah, you can literally smell everything. You can taste everything. Oh my god, leaps off the page. The final thing I think I'd say about Fleming is. Um, I don't think I can think of an author who finishes a book as well as he does. The last 20 or 30 pages of Casino Royale, you're itching to get to the next one. I would kind of argue like the opening of it as well is it's probably up there for me as like one of those great iconic it's like the opening to um Pride of Prejudice or Tale of Two Cities, you know, it's one of those really iconic opening lines you think, Oh my god. It is the so, truth usefully acknowledged that women in a nightclub at three AM are in want of a shag. Oh, very sexy, you know. Yes, that would be more like Bond style, wouldn't it? No, this is it, pretty much. Yeah, but it's, just, it's one of those great kind of iconic openings for me, anyway. I know that's just stupid, and I know a lot of people just say, "Oh, Fleming isn't really in that in that class." It's like it is. Charlie Higson pastiches it in Silverford. 
He does, definitely. Guys, also listeners, um, if you haven't had a chance to check out any of the Young Bond books, highly recommend it. Um, Higson, Steve Cole, um, I highly recommend it as well, even if even if you think, obviously, you perhaps are not the target well, audience. Well, if you're going to join us... And you'll you'll hugely only, enjoy them, definitely. You'll only find out at the end of an episode what we're doing next. I mean, we, we know our film series, but Fleming will throw in on on cue really it'll be oh i need to read that i can get through that today yeah because chris will tell us when he's ready and becca's read it so many times it is you know becca could probably get by without reading it but i i need to read it again. <laughs> um i've i've read casino royale two or three times but I'll, i need I'd to like read to it, again. it so I, did, I did it for the zeritsky thing and then obviously yeah. we had our own um as, as a little group that i'm part of and yeah. um yeah, on instagram um and that's kind of so it's like a sort of a ladies group and then we kind of spawned our own reading groups and we did it for that so i kind of read it well i've, I've read it many times before um but like in the space of like lockdown for example i might have read it sort of four or five times that would be a brilliant name for a women's bond group knitting and bondage knitting and bondage. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, is that, is that, no, we are ladies who bond thank you very much all right um so if you want to join us uh to read them and you want to get a head start we're in for all of them, but we'll just name the first three in the right order and leave it with you. So the first is Casino Royale, written and released in 1953, Becca? Yes. Uh, the second book is Live and Let Die. And the third book is Moonraker. Well, we'll, we'll, tw- we'll um, put a tweet out to confirm this. Yeah, now, Casino Royale is superb. Surprisingly short, superb. You can see why they add to add bits to make a film out of it, but it's a very good story. Live and Let Die, I struggle with. That's the only one. Moonraker has nothing to do with the film and is utterly and it's utterly magnificent. Really good. Also, listeners, I can recommend if you haven't checked them out before, um, BBC Radio Four have previously done some really amazing radio dramas. Um, I think they've pretty much done all of the ones now. They have. Um, with um, I've forgotten his name. Gustav Tom, Graves from Night of the Day. Toby, Toby Stevens, Stevens. Yeah. As Bond, and he is fabulous. He's voiced one or two of the books as well. I mean, I think he has, yeah, he's the latest one, the, the the latest Horowitz, is voiced by Rory Kinnear. Mm, and Rory Kinnear, Rory, Kinnear, Rory Kinnear drew the short straw and had to do Live and Let Die, so he had to say, like, Negro and stuff quite a lot. Mm, uh, yes. And other words, and other less polite words of was it. Um, I can't remember... There are various versions over the years because I had a version of Casino Royale once that was voiced by Rufus Sewell. Oh, for sure. But the currently yeah. released version, I know Dan Stevens has done some of them. He'd be I a th- great one. Um, and there is one book that's from a female perspective. So Rosamund Pike voices uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes, that's fabulous. I kind of think there's a there's a version of one of the stories that Joanna Lumley reads as well. But I think it's a different adaptation. Hang on a minute. I'm just um, going to look them up because I've got Audible right in front of me. I'm just going to uh, Yeah, it, it might, may not be an Audible. It may just be another version. But um, um, yeah, just so listeners, if you want to, you can check out the BBC Radio Casino audio dramas. Royale is narrated by Dan Stevens. I know that, um, I know that Live and Let Die is Rory Kinnear. Moonraker yeah. is... I've got, I think I've got a collection which is very similar so I've got yeah Dan Stevens who live and let die uh, Casino Royale live and let die Roy Kinnear Moonraker Bill Nye amazingly. Bill Nye yeah. and then uh, Diamonds and Forever is Damien Lewis, Damian Lewis. So that's, that's a collection uh, from, Russia with love is, from Russia with Love is Toby Stevens Ooh. just the ones I can see for a minute Honor Majesty's Secret Service is David Tennant yes that's really good uh, Martin Jarvis does You Only Live Twice which is an odd choice yeah, that's a bit strange, but yeah, Martin Jarvis. But um, he does. He's also the voice of Ian Fleming or the narrator in the uh, in the radio dramas. Um, but I could listen to him read the phone book. They're good. 
they're it's good. Um, but Casino Royale, a lot of people say it's the best book. I'm not sure I'd say it was my favourite. I think it finishes really strong. But it, it, it's top, like, three or four, probably, for me. Wasn't it um, From Usher of Love that was kind of like President Kennedy's top book or something of the year or something like the that? The last time I read them, From Russia With Love was my favourite. And some of, them, some of them are quite similar to the story as well? From Russia With Love... Of, of, well, obviously, From Russia With Love, the, the minor differences are it's a, a spectre, not a lector. It's obvious why yeah. they changed that. <laughs> so uh, cool. You get more of Red Grant's backstory, and it's not spectre, it's smirsh. But apart from that, they're really mm. similar. They're really similar. Spectre comes along a bit later, doesn't you? you know, they are smirsh for a while. Yeah. Um, let's bet it comes along a little bit later but, on. But that's a very faithful book. Majesties is very good. But, mm, very brilliant, heartbreaking, um, as we all know. A couple of the films that don't have such a great reputation I like, like most people talk down Goldfinger and I loved it. I thought the book was superb. Yeah, really good. Doctor No, I was a bit lukewarm on. Diamonds, I was lukewarm on. From The Spy Who Loved Me is really interesting. Some of the short stories are brilliant. Like Quantum of Solace is just a guy talking to Bond at a dinner party about he's, yeah, he's a in couple. A party, isn't he? He's just listening to a story about some couple, but it's brilliant. And likewise, when View to a Kill is like in a meeting, you know? <laughs> Bond yeah. in a meeting. Yeah, the, so. yeah um, some of the and stories... They, and they like, is, is a flashback. Um, I mean, the Hildebrand rarities about them catching a fish. Yeah. We're trying to catch a fish, there's a murder, and you, you meet Milton Crest and all that. You can see bits that have been repurposed into different films, but like, I'm not an expert. Does contain the, about, there um, are books. In, there are books in the series I've like only read once, and and the most I've read any of them is maybe three. So Becca knows them better than me, but I have read them all, um, and we will be doing them. Um, I'm I'm currently listening to Lord of the Rings because we got Tolkien coming up soon. But as soon as Chris is ready and said, right, I'm reading Casino Royale, or I'm halfway through, Becca and I will whip through whip through we'll a episodes and we'll record an episode. Well done. <clears throat> I must admit, yeah, coming up to Tolkien, it's one of those books where, like, you've never, <laughs> never actually read. I've read The Hobbit, um, but yeah. Oh, the I, endless I, I, poetry and songs films, gets on your tits, honestly. But it's one of so those books that's always on your, your to-read list and you've never got all the way through, so I'm kind of, like, slogging my way uh, through. So. I'm listening now, anyway. Well, I started with The Hobbit and I thought, why am I doing this? We're covering The Lord of the Rings first. I might do that. Because we're doing them in release order, so it's pointless reading The Hobbit first. Am I, no. am I, am I... The Lord of the Rings is something I might get on uh, Audible because um, there's, there's, there's uh, some versions with uh, Andy Serkis reading them. Nice. I wonder who voices oh. Gollum in those. <laughs> <laughs> we can all do our Gollum impressions, can't we? So. Yeah, but I reckon you know, that I reckon that's well, I've tried to read Lord of the Rings and it's a bit of a. It's a slog. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy reading it. There might be something you might, that might be go down better as an audiobook. I would just like to be able to talk about the differences. I don't need to talk about everything they didn't put in or cut. But silly little things like, there's about 17 years between Bilbo disappearing and like Frodo going off on on Uh, his travels. Yeah, it's a big big gap, isn't it? And there's a bit more backstory. When I first read them, because I've never read them all the way through, I liked Fellowship, which is effectively two books. And then. Two Towers, I gave up about halfway through. I was struggling with it. But I'm, I'm listening to it now, but I'm listening to it as I go for walks. But what I'm doing is, if I get distracted or I find I'm not listening or I fell asleep, I do go back. I am absolutely making sure I'm paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, they haven't left the Shire yet. I'm very early. So, no, they go from the epic and, and I think the first book's like 17 hours. So, Oh, Christ. Um, it's going to take <laughs> me about 50, 60 hours to get through them all. I think we are going to have to break this series up into chunks when we get to do talking, so it'll just be like, oh. 
but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get back to this series, Becca. So uh, before we get to that, social media, you can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Sony and um, uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back into Bond. Um, it'd be nice to sort of keep the Bond. Yeah, we'll chat away. offline about when, but it is coming soon. We're, we're not suggesting this and then throwing it at the bottom of a list. This is complimenting no. everything. Yeah, coming else. soon. We need to figure out some dates, but we will be doing the Do You Expect Us to Read? Book club, come and see us. It's still yeah, going to be but... called Do You Expect Us to Talk, folks? <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah, this is an offshoot, but it's yeah. just under, under well, it. It gives me, it gives me a reason to actually read the fucking things, because, you know, it, <laughs> I, I, as a, as a Bond fan, I should, I should at least know the fucking books, so, um. I hope you like them. I, I, I like them very much, but you do think of them as their own thing. When I'm when I'm reading Bond, it's it's a very different character to the the film version, even yeah. the more faithful ones. Um, so anyway, social media. Oh yes, yeah, so, so you can find uh, the episode on Podbean, which is um, should go live as well as the Supertrack Code at UK, where all the other episodes will be. And you can find us, Do You Expect Us to Talk, on Facebook. On Twitter, we are at Expect Us to Talk. On YouTube, Do You Expect Us to Talk. We're also on Podbean, as Chris said. Um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbay, wherever you like to listen to us. Um, but wherever you are, please kindly give us a nice review and hopefully a five-star rating. Um, and also, if you're on the socials and you like what you hear, uh, post a link to wherever you might find us um, on your socials, on Facebook and Twitter. Um uh, share it with your friends it helps us to kind of to rank higher in the ratings and attract more listeners thank you very much and also if you want to you can email us talk at gmail.com um, or you can always get in touch with us via our Facebook page and Twitter thank you very much and we do answer a very case, I haven't checked the email for ages actually no to be fair having but... said that I must get on and have a look probably for the spam <clears throat> okay so we continue with the Bourne series next time Becca which means Expect to Talk will return with Bourne Legacy